I'm doing something special this morning. Um, I say this could be a little dangerous too, but we're going to try and have some fun with this. My mom is actually here, and she's going to come to the stage in just a minute. Um, But before she does, the reason she is coming to the stage is because every time Mother's Day comes around, I am always challenged with what do I share with mothers. I am not a mother. I watch my wife, who does a phenomenal job mothering. Um, I have had a great example of a mother. And I think, you know what? It'd be great some, some Mother's Day to actually have a mom here in the stage and give the message. So what we're going to do this morning is actually have my mom come, and we're going to do an interview with her, and I'm going to talk to her. Here's why I'm doing this, <laughs> the real heart behind it. Since I've, I've been in ministry now just over 10 years in an official vocational capacity, and in that, in that time, the number one question that I have been asked more than any other question, this is crazy, I, I, I've still kind of got my head around this, is what did your mom do for you when you rebelled and went off the deep end? Number one question I've been asked. I've been asked it by parents of teenagers. I've been asked it by parents who are now in their 50s and 60s and have an adult child who's, who's off wandering away from God. I have, I've been asked that repeatedly. So I thought, you know what? I wandered away, and I'm going to share kind of before my mom comes. I want to kind of tell a little bit of my story so you understand as my mom sits up here what kind of child she really had to raise. First thing I'm going to do is put a picture up. Now, (laughs) they tell me that babies have a tendency to do that with their eyes. (laughs) I have never seen any of my kids do that. So I'm not sure what that's about. And also, if you notice my right hand, it should have been an indication right from the start of what my mom had to deal with. (laughs) With that said, that's me as a baby. Aside from that, I want to, my mom this past week as we were getting together, brought over this whole tote. I've got all kinds of, here's one of my first stuffed animals. I've got children's shoes, little kid's shoes. And, but she brought over this whole tote of stuff and kind of memories and keepsakes. And what I want to do is just kind of talk a little bit about who I was as a child um, and pulled some of this out so that when my mom's sitting here, you see the, very re- the reality of what she had to deal with. First thing I pull out, this is, I've mentioned before that I was in the IU 13. The IU 13, um, those of you who know, it's very different today than what it was, um, uh, but it was learning support uh, here in Lancaster County. And it was just kind of neat. I actually pulled out, here my official papers are from the IU-13, that, the, that the, um, the, the individual who was working with me. And what it's interesting, what I struggled with as I read this, it's a lot of speech. Adam is a kinder, I know, I hear his chuckle there. Adam is a kindergarten student who struggles to, I'm not even going to try and read this, articulate, diff, anyway, he has a whole, they have all the letters here that I can't pronounce, I can't speak well, I've got all this stuff. So I've got that. So I struggled in school. Aside from that, I pulled out all my report cards are in here. I think all of them. That was a whole pile. And I will be honest, I was a solid C-plus student. I graduated from high school with a 2.75, I believe it was. I did not. And what I got, I really had to work for. I pulled out, here's a, for example, here's a standardized test that I took. Um, Vocabulary, I scored in 65%. Reading was 67. Language was 68 um, and then mathematics, 71, and a total of a 72%. Now, I never flunked. The only, actually, the only course I ever flunked was in high school. I flunked Spanish. I, don't, I struggled immensely. And what I learned, I share this. Here's one thing. Let me share some hope. As I worked with teenagers, worked with teenagers for a lot of years, if I had to boil down the number one thing the tension that ends up happening between moms and dads and teenagers, you know what usually ends up being around? School. I struggled immensely in school. I share that to say one of the things I learned is in school. Now, this has changed a lot since I've been in school, but school, in a lot of ways, it's about getting a child to spit out some stuff. And I struggled with that. Um, what I, I, I say this to say, those of you young people who are here who are struggle with school, hang in there. My challenge is be a learner. Learn to just love learning. Don't get all lost on your grades. Don't get all beat up because you just do your best and love learning. And it's a lifetime process. 
The parents whose kids struggle with school. Let me be a great example. I mean, when I hold this IU 13 stuff up that says I can't speak, here I stand, and all through school. I've got, here I've got spelling tests. This was a classic 19% she showed me. That was a... I've got, uh, anyway, I've got all kinds of stuff here, but let, let that be an encouragement to the parents here that, you know, one of the things I remember very well is, is my mom never and dad never really, it was never a real battle over school. I knew I wasn't good. I struggled with this feeling of feeling dumb a lot, but I, I worked really hard and continued to try and be a learner. Now, so I struggled with school. Now, I've got a whole list of other stuff here that I also struggled with. My behavior was, uh, I was the classic firstborn type A dominant male. Um, here's a little letter that was sent home from my preschool teacher that said, Denise, sorry, but I did not allow Adam to have his snack today. He was throwing jello across the room. It got on three children. And she goes on to talk about how she wanted me to know the seriousness of what I had done. So there I was, I was throwing jello here. I've got a note. Um, why did I pull this one out? Oh, this teacher goes on to talk about what a privilege it is um, with me, but uh, I struggled with my large motor skills. It was interesting for me to learn. So then I ended up playing football. So that's, that's what it is. Was. Now, I've got a whole pile of demerits and disciplinary actions sent home. This one is an interesting one. This was in, this was in grade three. Now, I'm going to read this verbatim. Um, this was a Christian school who sent this home to my parents. I got... Um, what did I get for this? I believe I got, he was sent back to his classroom and his parents need to deal with this. This is too serious for us to deal with, they said. During gym class, Adam was playing with the orange cones. He put them up to his stomach and then raised them higher, pretending they were breast. Here we have grade four. I actually got paddled for this. This, There was spanking in the schools when I was growing up. The boys were in the restroom talking loudly. I opened the door and told them to be quiet. They did. I closed the door and I heard Adam making loud growling sounds. I opened the door and water was spraying across the room, getting Vincent all wet. I did not see who sprayed the water, but I did know that Adam was disobeying the no talking rule in the restroom. I got spanked for that in fourth grade. I've got another one here. This, this, it just got worse. Eighth grade. I've got a whole demerit list came. This came, this was only by, um, November. This is what I had done by November of my eighth grade year. So we aren't even that far into the school year. I got in trouble for distracting classmates. I was talking during devotions. I got in trouble in November 1st for shooting spitballs. And the school at the time was building an addition onto their property. And apparently, um, this was a serious one, I was taking excursions into the new building. (laughs) Uncompleted. Now, the one that I um, especially enjoyed was my sister. This After I graduated high school, my sister went off. uh, I was a year older than um, my... I'm the oldest in the family. My next sister... Uh, went off to a Bible school in upstate New York. So we have some letters that my mom and my sister, my sister loved Jesus with all her heart. My mom did too. And so they would write about me. <laughs> now I'm going to read this verbatim. My mom was, didn't believe this letter existed. I said, mom, I know it's there. I know I've seen it. So we dug actually around last night and uh, found this letter. Adam is still his same egotistical self-centered jerk. There you go. Egotistical, self-centered jerk. That was from my mom about me. (laughs) That was after high school. Then she goes on to talk about all the girls in my life and how I'm chasing. Yes, it's it's interesting. I I won't read this because this could be used as blackmail. Well, let's fold this one up. I was creative too in the thing. I I was a creative student. Matter of fact, I got the Jonah story, I think, mixed up here. I had to write a story. Excuse me. It says, one day a big whale was chasing me all over the ocean. Now there's misspellings all throughout this. Then one day he caught me when I was in the belly. I got hungry. So I ate the whale. Then I was still hungry. (laughs) So that said, and we could go on and have more fun, but the reality is this. (laughs) 
I was a, I struggled in school. I was, and my mom wanted to stress too, and maybe she'll say more when she gets up here. I was, I got in a lot of trouble. I wasn't a horrible kid. A lot of it, I think, is now I have little boys. I understand some of it's just little boys. Some of it's what little boys do. But, but my parents had their hands full with me. Um, and so with that said, I want to ask my mom to come forward, and I want to just talk to her about what it is that, um, how, what we, kind of just some questions about mothering and how she took me on as a, Hello. I would like to first say a happy Mother's Day to my mom. I had a suspicion they would be here, but um, we walked in and there they were. So thanks for coming. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. So I just want to start there. Okay. Now, here's the goal with this. We're going to have a casual conversation up here. We rehearsed this, so I hope it doesn't come off too stage. But I told her I'm going to throw some impromptu ones in here and there. So... Um, to, to keep it fun and interesting. But the goal of this is um, to, encourage, to encourage especially young moms. I talked to so many young moms today who, and I hear from my wife and others in her circle, who just stress over the responsibility of what it is to raise small children. So my challenge is to just encourage, to have those moms walk out here this morning and saying, you know what, I can do this. With God's help, we can do this and I can do it well. I also want to talk to, we're going to spend a large part talking about those, about the rebellious period, because I had quite a rebellious period. So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about, so my, to encourage those who either in that position with teenagers who are pushing away, um, and or who are maybe just struggling with, with um, that whole arena as well. So how about you open this up in prayer, and then we will jump into this. God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, thank you for my mom and the role that she's played in my life. May this be a fun time, but may also be a time of encouragement where we open up your word and just look at what it says about mothering uh, and the the crucial role that's to be played by a mother, the difference that a mom can make. At the same time, God, as I know, as I look at life, it's not only can it make a positive difference, but Lord, I've seen other stories where, uh, even in my own wife's um, life, where a mom can really damage and hurt. So God, I pray that we, we take this challenge well, that we leave today encouraged. And for the mothers in the room, I pray that they would walk out with just one or two um, nuggets this morning to, to really work on applying this week. God, those that have good mothers in our lives, may, may we take the challenge to honor and celebrate them today. And um, uh, God, it's to that end we pray. It's your son's name. Amen. Thank you for being here. I'm going to say you're welcome, I think. Okay. <laughs> As we talked this past week, and one of the, th- the first things that came, I think this would be a good place to start, is you talked about how you feel in a lot of ways you're, you're simply blessed. There are four of us, all of us now married. In fact, they're all here. Kind of cool thing is, all the out-of-town family, one, one surprised us this weekend and came in. But all of us um, grew up married spouses that love God. And we ourselves continue in our own ways to strive to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All four of us, though we had some rough years. But as we talked about that, and I remember the first thing you said is, it's really not a lot that you did. You just feel that you're, you were blessed by that. What, could you tell me what, kind of what, what do you mean by that? I get asked so often by people uh, that I know in my life, what did you guys do right? Because honestly... All four of my children love Jesus. They aren't just Christians in name only. They love Jesus. They're passionate about serving him. And even more of a miracle is that they all are married to people who love and serve Jesus. And you know what? That's all I've ever wanted in my life was to have my children love and serve Jesus and be married to mates that also love and serve Jesus. And so when people ask me, what did you do? I honestly feel like I did nothing. Uh, That was all God. Um, Uh... I never felt like it was anything I did. When I was, we got married very young, and Dave and I were just shy of 20 years old when we got married. And immediately within it, uh, two and a half years, we had started having three children. Uh, my youngest, uh, my oldest, Adam, was two and a half when my third child was born, and we had one in the middle there. So honestly, I woke up, I met their physical needs. You know what it's like, moms. You change diapers, you feed, you clean, you do laundry, you wipe tears, you go back to bed, and then you start all over again the next day. 
So when people ask me, what did you do? I just felt I didn't do anything that was worthy of what I have today. Now, as you talk this, this week and you talk about how, I mean, I think the statement is you, you said you just survived and got by in many ways. Uh, just meeting our physical needs. But, you know, as we talked, uh, there were some things that kind of spilled out that I think were principles that you did do, even though you may not have recognized it. Um, so some of those things, again, it wasn't all wrong, that you and Dad did. Um, and the first one, I'm just going to mention them, if you could comment on them, because I kind of caught them as we were talking this past week. The first one is you said you stayed together. You made a commitment to love each other and make sure the marriage held together and stayed strong. Um, uh, and you take us to, I'm sorry, and yeah, stay together. Take us to church. What not? Is, is that home there? What, again, what, could you comment on that? Um, I heard as a young mother that the best thing you can do for your children is give them a secure environment. Um, today, I know that I'm, I'm confident that in this audience, there are many of you that have uh, experienced divorce or suffered divorce. Um, and it's a tough thing to stay married and stay married happily. It's a wonderful thing, but it's a tough thing. It's hard work. Um, But Dave and I, when we married, even as immature uh, adults that we were, we made the commitment that divorce was never an option. I remember hearing the story of an explorer who went to America, and when they got there, they burned their ships so they couldn't leave. So several times our children came to us and said, when they heard of classmates in their school that their parents were getting divorced, they were fearful that we were going to get divorced, and our answer always was, we burnt our ships. There's no option. We're not going back. No matter what we have to plod through and wade through, we're staying together. So honestly, I think that would probably be one of the key things um, in in raising of our children is that we were just committed to each other. And during this time, I'm going to put a verse up on the screen. It's in Deuteronomy. Um, You commented at this point. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. And again, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Um, These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Uh, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Uh, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I mean, so one of the things you talked about too was not only did you stay together, uh, but you took us to church. And you really, though you talk about how you were an immature Christian and a young Christian, um, could you comment on that? Just, I mean, what it is that, again, as you look at those verses, what those verses mean to you? Um, they are some of my absolute favorite verses in all scripture. I have a lot of those. Um, we were very involved in our church as um, a young family. We, um, Dave and I worked with youth for 22 years in our church. We were there. The doors were open at that church probably almost every night of the week. Some of you that are my age can remember those days when there was something going on in your church almost every night. Um, I'm not sure if that's good or bad, so we'll leave that go. But anyway, we were there frequently, Sunday morning without fail, unless we were deathly ill, Sunday night. We were there Wednesday night, and of course our children were with us. And what I want to say about that is several things. Is First of all, I was thrilled that there were other people helping us. As you people stood before here and dedicated your children, we did the same thing. But you never could make it without the church to raise up godly children. They heard, uh, they heard other people besides mom and dad speak the truth from Scripture, and that validated it. So that was very, very important to us. And the other thing is you talked that... I remember very well, as you said, as we pulled out this past week, you were not different outside the home than what you were in the home. And I find a lot of times people that come to church put on our best and live a little different here and out in the public than what's really going on behind closed doors. Um, So that was, again, a principle that you pulled out. Could you, I mean, comment on? Um, I'll speak a little bit more later, uh, later on about this, but one thing that we saw working with teenagers is there was always a handful of teenagers out of the 70 to 100 that we worked with that would come to us in confidence and spill to us their pain of what they experienced in their home with their moms and dads. And we knew their moms and dads, and frankly, we didn't see any of that in the church because their moms and dads were model Christians. Now, certainly, I'm not talking about the majority. I'm talking about just a handful. But one thing Dave and I made a pact from the beginning, and we, he and I are both very, very, very open and vulnerable. If any of you know us, you know that we have nothing to hide. 
So um, we were not going to be different when we walked through the doors of that church than we were at home. We wanted our children to see that who we were at home were the same people we were at church. Um, I guess you could call that genuine. Uh, I, we just didn't want to be different. When we walked with the Lord, we wanted them to see that we were genuine. And another thing I just want to say quickly about that verse, those verses, is that the teaching doesn't just take place under the rooftop of a church. That teaching takes place as you're walking along the way with your children, as you're giving them baths, as you're feeding them Cheerios, as you're uh, getting them dressed for school, as you're helping them with homework. God allows you many, many opportunities to insert his values in his word. And the other one you, I think it follows up on all that is that I remember very well, I know we're going to talk about this a couple times this morning, is you prayed. You were a person that prayed fervently. Um, and I remember you sharing stories with me. I, mean, I think even before I was born, you were praying for me. And as soon as you knew you were having a boy, you were praying for my wife, who now the answer is sitting out here. Um, great answer to prayer. But you prayed for her when I was just small. So what role did prayer, I mean, I think it's another thing you did well, play in your, mar- or in your marriage and in your... Yeah, we're probably ending with the very most important part of parenting, and that is prayer. Um, I'm just so amazed that God, the mighty God of the universe, who has made each one of you different in here. We have different DNA from millions and millions of people he's created. He's invited us to come and talk to him. I'm always so overwhelmed that Israel, uh, his people, had to go through all this ritual to approach him. We don't have to do that. Jesus has already taken care of that. And I always found that an amazing privilege. And because of that, I love, love, love to pray. I'll be the first to say that I'm not always as faithful as I should be. So just let me get that out there right in the beginning. Um, But I think it's so interesting that in uh, 1 Peter, he tells us to cast your cares, to throw all your worries on him, and he'll care for you. Um, I just think that's so great that as a mother, when you're worried about little children, or even teenagers, give it to him. Let him deal with it. He's so much better in changing your children than you ever are going to be. In fact, guess what? You can't change your children. I've learned that the hard way. (laughs) Um, The other thing you shared this past week is, and I remember you've talked about this often. I remember dad sharing this with me as I was getting ready to marry Tanya. Um, You talked about the counsel you received from what would have been my pastor growing up, but your pre-marriage counselor was, was our pastor. And he sat down with you and he challenged you to identify things in your upbringing that we all have um, that you did not want to see repeated in our home. Uh, And then he challenged you to make a list of those things, if I remember correctly, and then um, put a plan together to go about intentionally changing them or else they would repeat themselves. Could you comment on, again, some of that counsel you received and what you and dad kind of processed through during that time? I don't know if we have the verses from Exodus. Um, If we, maybe we... I'm jumping ahead. If we don't, I'll just read them. Perfect. Um, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. Um, I have the rest of it here. I'm going to read five and six is what I really want to talk about. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. It just struck me, believe it or not, this week, the huge, huge comparison in that verse is if you do what's wrong, three to four generations after you will pay for it. But if you do what's right, thousands of generations after you will get the rewards from it. Um, I just think that's amazing. And when Dave and I were just 19 years old, our pastor counseled us to identify on a list the things that we did not like. Um, I know that all of you know we come from dysfunctional, sinful families. All of us do. We are all sinful. We are all dysfunctional. And so there were certainly things in our homes that we did not want to repeat as we were raising a family. And our pastor said to us, unless you make a conscious effort to change it, it will be ingrained and you will repeat it. Um, so one of the things that we definitely wanted to change in our home was, um, we wanted to express emotion. Um, my mom and dad are here and I know they would testify to this. They're from a generation, an older generation, I think that didn't openly say, I love you and give hugs and things like that. David's father didn't do it either. Um, it's no blame of them. It's just, it was, it was kind of a cultural thing. 
Um, and we wanted to express love to our children in ways that we always knew we were loved. My parents worked very hard to provide things that we needed as children, and we knew because of their sacrifice we were loved. But we decided that we wanted to say, I love you, out loud. And uh, we had to work hard on that because that was very awkward uh, in the beginning. But now we never finish a conversation, especially on the phone, that we don't tell one another that we love each other. And that was, that was hard work to do that, but it, w- it really did pay off. Yeah, it, it has. I mean, I, again, um, great counsel to really look at those things. Now, when you talk of the spiritual leadership of the home, um, you and I would agree that that for, first and foremost falls on the shoulders of the husband or the man in the house. Um, but as I have worked in a church for 10 years, I've seen that that often is not the case. A lot of times... It ends up being a strong woman or, or a lady who is passionately in love with God and they feel like they're dragging the husband or the father along. Uh, and I, I'll confess too, even in my own home with Tanya, um, at times, <laughs> and many times in our marriage, she's had to play that role of dragging and pulling, especially with children. Um, so as I think about that, and I think about that struggle of spiritual leadership in the home, um, do you relate it all to, to that to that needing to drag at times or to, to step into that role where you would say, um, I feel like I am the spiritual leader here that, in place of the one who God has asked to be the leader. Um, let me just say a couple things to begin with. I was um, a Christian very young in my life. My grandmother took me faithfully to an uh, amazing church, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior for the first time. <laughs> uh, some of you can relate to that. I'm kind of a joke. <laughs> Uh, when I was four years old, and um, when I started dating Dave, he was not a believer. Thank God for a praying grandmother, because one night, God used my mouth, and I spoke the gospel to him. Don't ask me where that came from. And um, he eventually did pray to receive Christ before we got married, uh, and I'm so thankful for that. So I was a much older Christian than him, not more mature in any way, but I had all the knowledge up here that you learn in church and in Sunday school. So when we were first married, um, Dave had very little understanding of solid biblical truth. He was raised in a church, but not a passionate relationship with Christ. And the other thing I would like to say is that I had this image in my mind of what family devotions and family leadership was all about. I just saw us sitting around a crackling fireplace with the Bible open, even though we didn't have a fireplace. Uh, And the the father was reading the Bible, and then he was expounding on the truth of Scripture. And to me, that was what spiritual leadership and family devotions was. Well, that didn't take place in our house for many reasons, because we didn't have a fireplace. Anyway. We did have a wood stove, though. We did have a wood stove, yeah. Anyway. Not the same romantic notion. That's right. And the other, the other element to all this is, uh, except for my unrealistic expectations, was that men, you work hard today, and a lot of women do too. I don't want to just say men do. But you, Dave was out there working a job that was unbelievable. He would start many mornings at 5.30 or 6 o'clock and get home at night, sometimes not till 7. And then when I married Dave, we took on his property, his home property, where he was born and raised. And we had a truck farm, a small one, but it was... No, we didn't raise trucks. We uh, (laughs) sold tomatoes and spring onions and things like that to grocery stores. So he had a very hard job uh, raising the money so that I had the privilege of staying home. So that was always a time element as well. So it was good for me this week to talk about these things with Adam and think back to what I really thought about the spiritual leadership in in the home. It it helped me to come to grips with a lot of truth rather than misconceived ideas. But yes, I was the one who did a lot of the the spiritual training in our home. But as it said in Deuteronomy earlier that we read, it was a natural thing because I was with my children a lot more than David was. As we talked about this um, this past week, uh, one of the things, I remember one of my favorite authors, uh, John Piper, he writes and tells a story about this, well, kind of what you shared, um, is, you know, he writes a story about a, a man who was your, a blue-collar, hard-working guy, uh, married a white-collar um, executive uh, spouse. And so she had a lot of the classic leadership gifts, as he tells the story, and uh, where he was more of the, the just roll the sleeves up and get it done. 
And so what happened is, is, is in their marriage, some of this tension that kind of boiled up and they'd find the, the wife wanting to step in. So they end up coming to him for counsel. And he tells this story in one of his books where he says that uh, a lot of us, what you just shared, it reiterates that a lot of us get this leadership thing mixed up and we don't understand what it is. And he, and he, would, he counseled this couple to say, do you know what leadership is? It's for that husband to say, hey, kids, um, let's pull together. And let's have a devotional time and then look at your wife and say, could you lead us in that? Um, so what his point was is a lot of times spiritual leadership is simply what leadership is in the workplace. It's making sure the job gets done, leading well, empowering others, delegating, and taking the initiative. You're the one that's saying, I hold the ball in my hands. And I hold the vision of we're going to love our kids. And this is what we're moving towards. And then looking at the wife and saying, could you do and make it happen? Because um, as we talked, and we're, we're trying to hire a children's pastor. We're looking at Lancaster Bible College. Out of their elementary ed program in a Bible school, um, less than 5% of their elementary ed program are um, male. It's predominantly a female-driven uh, course of study. And so you look at that, and it's, it's um, women... The mom has that nurturing gift that the man doesn't. A lot of times the women are the ones that have that drive and that desire to be with the child in a way that the husband and the man does not. I think that bears up as you look all across our land at elementary ed programs. There are men in there, but it is, it's the, more the exception. It is the rule. Um, so a lot of times I think it's acknowledging um, uh, that piece. Now, with all that said on, um, with leadership, at times you talked about you picking the ball up and running which I find happens a lot. Um, with that said, could you challenge me as a father, and you have a free shot at all these men out here who are fathers and husbands, um, could you challenge us? I mean, what one challenge would you give us when it comes to the spiritual leading in the home? Don't miss out is all I want to say. I looked at these little babies up here, and I honestly, in the blink of an eye, your years go by, and your children are 34, and... Uh, you weren't supposed to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> they all think I'm 44. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, no, just... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, don't let it go by. Uh, you're busy. You're tired. We live in a very stressful world today, uh, but you are going to miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime you don't have to take your Bible and sit down around a crackling fire and lead deep, solid truth out of Scripture. Just pray with your children. Let them hear you pray. Be genuine at home like you are here. Be vulnerable around them. Uh, let them see the real you. Don't hide your flaws from them. And um, like I said, lead. I told Adam, I, it struck me as we sat together in his office you know, I'm going to tell you, I didn't even know where Terry Hill was when I was married. <laughs> Sorry. I was from the other part of the county. And when Adam and Tanya moved here, I was overwhelmed at all the horse and buggies and the bikes. And it struck me as we talked about spiritual leadership in the home that the, what Adam said about John Piper, his illustration, it's like the horse and the buggy. The man is the one, the horse is the one, I'm sorry, exerting the effort and pulling that buggy. But who's really driving the horse? And men, I just want to challenge you to be the driver of your family. The, the woman is the nurturer. She may be home doing the force of the spiritual leadership or the spiritual teaching, but you be the driver of that and don't miss out on that opportunity. Cool. Thank you. Um, with that said, too, we want to put another verse up for you guys maybe even look at this week. Challenge out of Luke chapter 1. Um, powerful verse. This is a verse describing John the Baptist. For those of you who may not be familiar with your Bible, John the Baptist was the one that was sent before Jesus to prepare the nation of Israel for Jesus Christ to come and to live on the earth and to represent God to us in a tangible way. And this is what it says. One of the things that John the Baptist was going to do, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he's doing two things. Well, the first one is, is he turns the hearts of the fathers to their children. Um, again, we talked this week, pulled this verse out again, as you talked about that husbands, you know, fathers don't miss out. Um, it's amazing when you see a, a man's heart turned towards children, a lot of times it's preparing 
they're ripe to, to, to grow and to receive Jesus Christ in a, in a powerful way. And I think um, it's the truth there of uh, Luke chapter 1. Now, you challenge men. One of the things I, I wanted to say, you give a shot to men. So let's, how about women? Um, wanna, what, how would you challenge women and encourage them even as those mothers here? What, what, are, what are one or two principles that you would really pull out to have them hold on to? Well, I had to think about that again. Like, what things did I do as a mom? What kept me sane? Uh, two and a half children, or three children in two and a half years was a lot. And people say, how did you do that? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I got up and did my job and went back to bed. But I stayed connected. That's one thing um, that I did is I stayed connected to other women. Um, women, you've probably heard this by now. Your husband doesn't want to hear all the woes of the children when he gets home. He doesn't want to hear how you struggled with cleaning or the little things. Um, he had a rough day. I was trying to ask Adam this week if he knows that quote about men have so many words in a day and women have like twice that many. And unfortunately, when the man gets home, he's already spoken all of his, but the woman has, has not spoken hardly any of hers. So, but I've learned um, that you need women. Talk to women. Uh, we supported one another. We did babysitting for one another. They cried on my shoulder. I cried on their shoulder. It was the days of the long phone cords. I would iron and have a 25-foot phone cord attached to my ear. And while our children are napping, we would encourage one another. Uh, find good, solid Christian women as well as those that may not be as, as solid. But you need those women to sharpen you and, and carry your burden with you. Um, one more thing I would say is be vulnerable. Um, we're probably going to talk about that a little bit later on, but I just wanted to say again, don't hide. If you have things in your life that's junk, please don't hide behind it. Uh, when your children are struggling, confess it to your friends. They're not going to think you're terrible people, and they will pray with you. It wasn't your fault your children did the things they did. When Adam threw jello, I didn't teach him to do that, I promise. It's <laughs> <laughs> what I saw happen at home. <laughs> um, now, as you talk about staying connected, um, I want to kind of transition to my teenage years and really hit some of the heart of this. And I think, um, again, uh, you stayed connected and you had a friend um, that you went to and trying to reach out to them to seek counsel on how do you handle a teenage boy who was pushing the limits and some extreme limits at times. And, um, you know, I was long gone spiritually. I was making very poor choices. You saw those poor choices that I was making and you were concerned, you reach out to this friend uh, who had older kids. Uh, the one thing I appreciate is you looked for someone who had been there and done that, and it seemed to have proven and paid off for them. So you went to them, and uh, turning out great kids, and what did they share with you? What did they say to you, okay, Denise, this is how, um, what I'd encourage you to do with your teenage son who is really pushing the limits and is walking down a dangerous road? This woman was a, a mother that I greatly admired. Her children were turning out, I thought, phenomenally. So I, I talked, sat and talked with her one day after we had a Bible study together. And one thing she said to me that has just stuck back there has been keep talking. Keep proclaiming truth. Keep connected. Uh, even if they don't want to hear it, and they usually don't, just keep proclaiming truth in love. Be consistent. Keep talking keep the communication lines open. And that was one of the things I held on to as a mom who was struggling with rebellious teenagers is that we were just going to keep pounding the truth, keep pounding the truth because they had to hear it. One of those stories, um, and we're going to share a story here, a very, very personal story. Uh, you called, I was out of high school. I, I think I was just out of high school. If, we, if we, we tried to recall the exact times of this, I think it was like, I might have been out of high school a week or two. And you had looked at my life, and you saw my life mirroring somewhat the choices that you were making as a teenager. And I remember I was at work, and uh, I, my boss came up to me and said, um, your mom called, and right away my, I turned red. I got very angry. I'm like, she'd like to have, take you to lunch and have an extended lunch break, so I'm giving you the permission to have a longer lunch break today. Uh, so you showed up. We got in the car. Uh, a little bit of chit-chat, but a lot of silence. Uh, and we, I remember going to McDonald's. I had no idea what we were doing. Uh, going to McDonald's, we got our lunch and then drove over to Long's Park there in Lancaster and sat down at a picnic table. I remember it very well. at the picnic table at the end of that pond. And could you finish the story, just share what you shared with me um, that day there at Long's Park? Um, frankly, this is a part of the interview I wasn't sure I wanted to share. But I'm going to be honest because... 
I think honesty and vulnerability, again, I can't say it enough, is a key in being, uh, uh, having a great relationship with people on a horizontal level and vertically with God. Um, I saw Adam repeating in his life things that I had done in my life that hurt me tremendously. And moms and dads, you do not want your children to hurt. From the time they're little, you teach them not to put their hand on a stove. Uh, You teach them not to run out in front of cars. But, you know, when they get older, they start making decisions that are going to really hurt them. Uh, Those pains from physical injuries can be healed. But the pain that I saw Adam heading for could not be healed. It was something that would have stayed with him forever. And the reason I knew that is because I was a mother in my 30s who had that horrible pain that just never, never goes away. Uh, I was forgiven, but I wasn't, the pain's still there. And when I was a young teenager, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, and I had a relationship with a young man that I was sure was going to marry me. Uh, And we were physically um, involved, and unfortunately, I'm, I got pregnant, and um, I, I will say I am on my knees on a regular basis thanking God that he took that baby through a miscarriage. I was 16 years old. I was uh, not prepared for a child. I wasn't prepared to marry the gentleman that I was, was involved with, and God, in his ultimate grace and mercy, took that dear little one, and I had a second chance, and I went to a friend. I saw Adam heading in that direction. And I went to a friend at the time when Adam was a a young man just out of high school. And I said, she was a godly friend. And I said, should I share this story with my son? And her advice to me was, no, keep that to yourself. That's personal. And I prayed about that. And I felt strongly, I felt the spirit in my soul telling me to be vulnerable with my son. So we met at Long's Park, and we sat on a picnic bench, and I was shaking. This is not something I want to tell my children. I want my children to think that I'm a wonderful, godly woman. The verses in Scripture that say her children rise up and call her blessed. Well, how is he going to call me blessed if he knew that I slept with a gentleman before I was married and even conceived a child? But I felt that I had to tell him this. So we went to Long's Park, and I sat down, and I laid everything out in greater detail than obviously I would lay out with you. And I told him the whole sordid, ugly story because I wanted him to avoid the pain that I still carry to this day of a bad choice I made. God has forgiven me. I know he has. He's removed that sin as far away as the east is from the west. But guess what? The pain and the scars are still there, and I don't want my child to have it. And I, I never forget is, is we got, when you shared the story, I went silent. I don't know how much of that you remember. And we drove back. I don't think I shared, talked a lot in the car. It had penetrated my heart. Um, I, it was too late in a way I had already uh, been involved with, um, sexually with, in ways that I should not have been. Um, and I had already been carrying some of that pain. Uh, but what it did do for me is I'll never forget this is I didn't make an instant change. I didn't turn around overnight, but that fall um, is when I began thinking about ending my life and trying to figure things out. And I made the choice of, well, Hey, you know what? Maybe this God thing, there's something to it. And um, my sister was off at a Bible school at the time. My mom's and dad are still praying for me. Uh, So I had made the choice at that point to let's at least explore this God thing because the road that I am going is leaving me scarred and empty. And as much as I seem to be having fun, I come to the end of myself at night and I'm I'm hurting. Uh, So it was that story in a lot of ways that really as I look back and kind of see is a clear pivotal point where I kind of walk away and said, wow, I mean, I may not have been. If she had married this other guy or if this, I mean, I could have. And I, it just began to, it caused my world to be like, Adam, wake up. You're, you're going you're gonna to hurt yourself and a lot of people in the process. So, again, that open, that she, again, my mom constantly talked. Uh, she would, I would be home. She'd give me a curfew for 12. I would show up at 2. And there she was awake on the steps. And uh, she would talk. And she would continue to push. And she'd continue to, uh, again, uh, and my dad at times would also play that role. Now, as we talked about this past week even is, you know, my rebellion. And we had one of my sisters who traveled a very similar road. Uh, two of us kind of went down that road. 
Um, you said that it was, again, I want to read this because I caught a quote from you this past week. It was the hardest time as a parent, and you had the least amount of control. You went on to say, is we, referring to you and dad, should have given up more control by letting the rope out slowly all along. Could you comment on what you meant by that? I think as human beings, we want to control our worlds. And when our worlds involve children, uh, we want to control them. As I said earlier, we don't want them to be hurt. We don't want them in any way. We want them totally protected. We would love for them to be in a bubble, but that isn't reality. So what I learned as Adam was going this path in his life is that if we had given a little more slack in the rope all along the way, there wouldn't have been so much to let out at that one time. Um, I hope I changed that as our other children were growing up. But um, as parents, I would say, let each day, let more slack out. Let your children experience life while they're home with you, while you can guide them and direct them what to do with that slack. Because if you hold on to it so tight until they're adult, young adults, then all of a sudden they'll grab it from you and it will hurt. Uh, all I can think of is you'll get rope burns. <laughs> Well said. Um, one of the things you talked to is that I picked up on. You mentioned as a young mom, again, I'll read this to make sure I don't. You thought, you said, I thought I was doing God a favor by raising and taking care of his kids. Um, what have you learned about that in reality as you look back, a statement like that? Oh, my. What pride. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a young mom, I was so on the edge because I thought God gave me these children. And he said, here, raise these kids for me. And I came to realize that that had nothing to do with why I had children. Um, yes, he wanted me to be responsible and do all the right things. But I learned that um, God gave me these four children with each individual characteristic in their personality that I needed to form me into the child that he wanted me to be for him. Um, I have learned more from my children than I could have ever learned from a teacher of any other kind. Uh, I've learned what God is like. I learned that he's tender and he's compassionate and that he loves us unconditionally and that he's consistent and he wants us to come with our hurts and our pains. And there's just so much. And I'm, I'm anxious to keep learning because I haven't certainly learned it all yet. Uh, but it was my children that taught me those, those lessons. And it was not that I was doing God a favor. He was molding and shaping me in the process. Now, as we um, kind of wrap this, kind of come to a close here, one of the things, you know, if we have parents in the room here today who are, have rebellious teenagers um, and they would come talk to you afterwards, maybe just publicly here, what would, you, what would you say to them to encourage them? What kind of truths would you share with them to help them go throughout their week and, and live in that relationship with that strained parent-child uh, relationship? Um. Well, first of all, I would say a lot of what I've already said. Keep talking. Pray, 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 pray. Pray again and pray more. Um, but, you know, maybe you are starting to parent your children as teenagers in a way that you never were able to as young children. Um, maybe you're realizing things as you've grown with them that you didn't do very well as a young, ch a young mother or father and in, if that's the case, I would say sit with the weight of that pain and recognize it and confess it to your children. If you did things you should have done differently, they love to hear that you failed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but honestly, seriously, um, your children need to see that you're human beings and you're trying your best. So maybe your child's rebellious because you didn't do such a great job as a parent. Um, I can honestly say I did the best job, and Adam rebelled, and it was painful. And um, so sit with that. If you, if you really did make mistakes, first of all, I would say own those mistakes and let your children see that you weren't always the best you could have been or wanted to be. Um, then I would say that um, be consistent and keep boundaries. When those children go outside those boundaries, as Adam and his sisters did a lot of times, you need to be consistent with your punishment. Have a punishment match the offense um, and be consistent with it. Don't let up on it. It's hard as a parent to punish because you're hurting your child, but it's a good hurt, and I would say be consistent. Thank you. I really, I, um, 
I love you a lot, and I appreciate the role that you've played in my life. And a lot of ways, I'm here today as a result of what you've done in my life and some of those things that you have done for me. And I'm sure when my children get older, I will come to you with some of these questions again. I um, just want to say that my children have, um, let's see, what would you call it? A habit, maybe, of they might like to see who gets the glory and who gets their mom to cry first on these occasions. Uh, if they can write a card that makes me cry more than the other one, then they won. <laughs> so I would just like to say that it is all God that I didn't sit up here going, because I am a crier. <laughs> so Adam lost today, I just want to say. <laughs> and I just want to say I am so proud of him. If you ever have, uh, if you ever just want to hear a mother gush, you can uh, call me up and I'll come have coffee with you and I'll just tell you the wonderful ways that God has been molding and shaping this young man, and I love uh, you very much, Thank too. Thank you. want to end with a verse, then we're going to pray. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. <clears throat> this is my mom's um, uh, shared with me, her favorite verse uh, on mothering. And he tends his flock, referring to God, like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Beautiful beautiful picture of God's leadership of us. And I think in that captures the picture of a mother and and the heart of a mother. So why don't we pray? And um, why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer and get ready to sing our last song. God, thank you so much for mothers. Thank you for the the mothering that you do of us. Uh, You hold us. You're tender. You're compassionate. Um, thank you for your leadership in our hearts and lives. Uh, we love you. We thank you for that. I pray for the moms here in this room that they would leave this week. They'd be encouraged today. They would, they would um, stand strong. Uh, God, they would love their kids well. Uh, pray for the fathers and the husbands that they would walk alongside and they would lead well and take that initiative in the home. Uh, God, and I pray for those that struggle on this day. I pray that you would comfort them, that they would see you as someone, as Isaiah 40 says, who can play that role that they did not have in a mother. And Lord, for those that can't have children, and this day brings great pain and heartache, God, I pray that they would be able to look to you and uh, find hope, find life and friends around them that love you. And God, be with them as well today. Uh, Again, thank you for my mom and the role that she's played in my life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.